ladies and gentlemen. Our next event of the evening is a one-fall match. You're listening to WrestleSpective Radio. With a 60-minute time limit. Play, huh? This is where the big boys play. WrestleSpective Radio. Where the big boys play. WrestleSpective Radio. Where the big boys play. WrestleSpective Radio. You're listening to Where the Big Boys Play and WrestleSpective Radio. Part 2 of Clash the Champions 1. So now we go to Chicago Barbed Wire Street Fight. Where it's Dusty Rhodes, who has his face painted like a road warrior, <laughs> with uh, the road warriors uh, who have Paul Ellering in their corner against the Powers of Pain and Nikita Koloff. Uh, I didn't even notice Paul Ellering. Yeah, well, um, this is one of the things that we've uh, talked about a few times. Uh, we basically hate Paul Ellering on where the big boys play and have had nothing good to say about him in however many weeks we've been doing this now. Do you have any positive thoughts on Paul Ellering, or do, do you think much the same about him? Um, I think by this time I would agree that Paul Ellering didn't have much use, um, or didn't seem to particularly have much use. But I think, especially early, he was important for them in promos when they were not quite as strong um, and, and as confident in that. Um, and also, my understanding is that he was their real life manager. Like he would actually like conduct their business affairs and um, you know kind of be responsible for them and actually like legitimately manage them for um, you know most of their run, at least into you know until they got into WWF. And then, of course, Kitty had a brief run with them in WWF, kind of toward the end of their run there. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. So he was actually useful for them backstage, if if, yeah. if nothing else. Okay. Yeah. But you, but 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 with them being baby faces, obviously, using a babyface manager is tough um, because you know you don't want him out there. Um, running interfere, you know, he doesn't make sense for him to interfere because he's a good guy. Um, and you've mentioned, of course, the times in which you know he's he's been out there and hasn't done anything, hasn't done anything to prevent the heels cheating. So it just, you know, it, it's you're right there that it's it's finding him the right role when they're in the ring is difficult because yeah, he can only really look super useless. And if if there's another guy that Chad and I are super down on or have been, probably the number one guy that we've been down on on this show, um, apart from, of course, Billy Graham, is Paul Jones. Um, like, the, the, literally, I couldn't um, I couldn't tell you a single good thing about Paul Jones. Any, any thoughts on, on him? Because he's one of those guys that um, certainly fans from this time seem to remember him fondly, but um, he seems pretty worthless to me. Yeah, I haven't seen much Paul Jones, so that one I um, that one I can't really say much about. But he didn't do much here, that's for sure. I feel like I've seen I've, I feel like I've seen maybe some good promos he did, maybe like early '80s. Um, 
but I'm not. That that's just sort of a vague recollection. Yeah, th- th- his his fee with Jimmy Valiant seemed to just go on and on. Like, uh, um, yeah. Um, but his uh, his army's still going here, and uh, he's got um the powers of pain and uh, Ivan Koloff, so d- not a bad uh, not a bad little threesome there. Uh, sure. And I think also Dick Murdoch is part of uh, his stable at, at this point as well. Um, mm-hmm. Although I should mention that Ivan Koloff is probably pushing 50 at this point. He's pretty old. Um, so the ring is surrounded with barbed wire. Um, an animal is wearing a strange kind of hockey mask. And I think this relates back to an, in, uh, an angle kayfabe injury involving some chalk earlier in the year. Uh, do you do you know anything about this? Face mask. They mention it's for an eye injury, but I didn't. I didn't get again. I had the same audio problem, and they didn't yeah. get into the specifics of it. I couldn't. They. I couldn't hear it. So, but I know it, it was specifically the eye. They said. The uh, the faces shine uh, at the start of this match. Um, we get a gorilla press by Hawk on Ivan Koloff. Um, there are no tags here, so it's all six men uh, in. And obviously we were having audio problems, but I seem to um, hear Jim Ross say that it's last men standing rules, which confused me immensely. So I was assuming that it's a ten count, not a pinfall situation, because um, I kept on hearing them say last man standing, um, but this d- does not seem to be what happened. Did you have any? Did you hear this last man standing thing at all? Well, I took that to mean that, like, um, like, like not literally like the match, but but sort of the idea that these guys are going to beat each other all each other up until the last man is standing. Right. The, the, the reason why I thought that is because the last time we had the uh, ring surrounded with barbed wire, I think it's Dusty versus uh, Tully Blanchard in a last man standing match. Ah. Uh, um, it it was the it was the ten count rule. So right. I thought maybe the same thing might apply here, but clearly not. Mm-hmm. Animal headbutts all three heels. Um, Ivan Koloff seems to have colour already, um, and if you, if you've seen any Ivan Koloff tag matches, he basically spends most of most matches getting his um, taking a beating really, and, uh, and and selling a lot of offence for other people. Dusty gets a DDT on the Barbarian. Um, the sound seems to come back now for a while, so I don't know if it did for you, but I I could hear what the commentators were saying a bit more clearly during this match. Um, we get a kick, we get a great kick from the barbarian uh, who nails a animal with a with a kick, um, and then things go a bit messy here. I think Ivan Koloff gets pinned, um, kind of in the middle of all of this. And the match ends. Like we actually have a winner. Um, yeah, I, I actually I think it's um, Animal Power Slams Warlord. Then Barbarian comes off the the top of. I don't think the camera got it, but then a- Animal moves, and then Warlord is hit with the headbutt, and then Animal goes to cover, and that's the pin. I'm pretty sure it's Warlord, not. Maybe it was Ivan. Maybe I um, maybe I got that mixed up. But either way, that's that's how it happened. Right, I mean, I'd be surprised if it was the Warlord, just because of um, pushes and relative positions. I, that, that's true, that's true. I, um, I, for some reason I thought it was Warlord, but I, I could be off. But otherwise, otherwise that is correct. 
Yeah, I mean, the camera work on this show in general what, what wasn't that great. I think they missed quite a lot of stuff uh, over the course of the night. Um, so, but anyway, what happens here is um, is then they get Ivan's chain and the powers of pain um, work over Animal with it. The mask comes off and um, Ivan and the powers of pain kind of are attacking Animal's uh, face and his eye. And I, I can hear the commentators putting over the idea that they're trying to put him out forever. That this could be a career-ending injury if something doesn't happen. Um, yeah. I was generally just confused around this point. There was a lot of stuff going on. Um, the um, yeah. Any thoughts on this match? Um, it was just basically like a crowd. It, it, it was just too crowded to have six men in the ring in that amount of space, and um, and it lasted three and a half minutes. So, um, I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it was just yeah, it was just kind of confusing. It was hard to see what was happening, um, and uh, it just felt like a waste of a barbed wire match to throw it in. Um on this show when it didn't seem to be a situation that really meant anything. I mean, the crowd was into it, so, um, but, um, so I guess it wasn't a total waste, but it just feels like something, like doing, like, a stipulation just to do one rather than for any purpose. Um, so, yeah, it, it was, it was kind of nothing. Yeah, and I, I also think that, I mean, it's 1987 now, um, uh, 1988 now, and Ivan Koloff is pretty like he's getting pretty old, um, but he's still kind of booked as if he was just Ivan Koloff um, yeah. from back. Well, I mean, so. he, you, as you mentioned, he does sell a lot. He does, he is sort of put as like the third member of that team. I mean, he's he's dangerous and kind of crafty, but I don't think like maybe they're pushing him a little stronger than they should based on his physical appearance, but I, I, I think maybe he's over enough to warrant it to a certain extent, as long as it's not, like, overly crazy. Yeah, the, 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 the only reason I question it is because you've got the powers of pain. You've got Dusty, who's basically still sort of number one face in the promotion at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got the Road Warriors. So, like, to put Ivan in there with those... Um, you know, with those five other guys, um, made made the teams look a little unbalanced in my mind. Sure. It, it's sure. almost like having. A, I'm, try, I'm trying to make a good um, comparison here. Uh, it's almost like if you'd have. Um, yeah, he. It, I. I don't know. He just seemed to be a little lower down on the card at this point to be in this mm-hmm. match. Um, it didn't hurt it too much, I don't think. But uh, it, just something worth uh, mentioning. Um, yeah, the, the the beatdown was good, but I it was also pretty similar to the last match, so that was kind of like you know it's like oh okay we're doing this again. Yeah, and I I don't think they really made much of the um of the gimmick here either of the, of yeah. the barbed wire. They didn't really come yeah. into it too much. Although um, Ivan and Dusty both seemed like they were bleeding immediately. Right. Yeah. Arvin, I saw Ivan get barbed wire in Dusty's face. Um, I didn't see how Ivan got it, but as you mentioned, it was, wouldn't be too hard, you know. <laughs> okay. Um. So yeah, I mean, this is kind of nothing. Uh, match. Do, do you have any particularly uh, strong thoughts about any of these guys? I I had a both both Chad and I had a bit of a rant on uh, Hawk last time out, and uh, I I also mentioned how I don't really like the Road Warriors and never have. 
Um, yeah, I'm I'm not a huge War Warriors fan. I think like their top level stuff is really good, but they have a lot of stuff that's just sort of dull and sort of uninteresting and just sort of like, um, you know, uh, in in the Road Warriors demolition debate, I am definitely Team Demolition. So. Oh really? <laughs> okay. Yes. Because heavily, I, I'm also. I mean, I don't. I, I don't want to get into an argument, but I'm also a guy who's down on demolition. Oh. <laughs> on um on the pro uh, wrestling only uh, boards, there's an ongoing demolition uh, debate that goes on. I, I've always been in it. I've always been in the camp that think that they just look like two fat guys in um, in S and M gear. <laughs> um, I don't really understand how people think that the demolition were Road Warriors ripoffs because to me they look nothing like. A, they look nothing like uh, the Row Warriors, and B, um, that you know, they're kind of fat middle-aged guys. Uh, yeah. That was more when they started in '87. They were more physically imposing. By the time like '90, '91 rolled around, they were definitely aging and um, and you know getting bigger. And and you so I can see where that came along. But when but the first couple of years they were more. They were never as big and as jacked as the Road Warriors, but they were more physically imposing. Right. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm no, I'm no great fan of uh, of either. Although I will say that the demo demolition needs some reassessment from me. I I haven't watched their stuff in a while. I mean, I've been concentrating on NWA uh, sure. more. So a lot of my WF viewing is several. You know, the last time I watched a lot of those matches was eight nine years ago now. So yeah. maybe uh, maybe I depreciate things that I didn't appreciate then. Yeah, I um I did not like the powers of pain for a long time, but I do like Barbarian quite a bit, and um and they were both in Chikara King of Trios this year, which I watched, and uh, Warlord looked really really good, better than he ever did in his career that I've ever seen. Really, how old are these guys now? Um, well, they're probably in their um uh, you know early fifties, I would guess, maybe even a little bit older than that. Um, are they still Jack? Uh, uh, um, <laughs> Warlord is. I mean, not like as as um big as he um as he you know would be later, but um or as he was earlier. But he was still was a uh, more looked more like a fit guy, you know, um okay. than necessarily jacked. And Barbarian looked fine, but he definitely you know was has aged a bit. Um, Haku um Meng was there as well, and he looked terrible. He looked really really fat, <laughs> but. But. Yes, uh, Barbarian was born in '56, so he's 56 years old, and um, according to Wikipedia, of course, which you know may may not always be right, but we're going to go ahead and go with it here for lack arms? of uh, looking harder. Could he move his arms? Uh, and he could move his arms. Yeah, he he was much more flexible than he would have been <laughs> like in his normal career. Like I said, he looked he looked really good. He it was like you know like like um you know like he he was he looked like he could have gone out there now and been a decent wrestler, you know? Wow. Uh, yeah, he's, he's 50, by the way. Born in 62, so he's a bit younger. That's genuinely uh, surprising to me. Um, um, but, yeah, I was shocked, but yeah, he looked great. At, at this his stage, his timing course, was good, too. At, at this stage, the Barbarian's a lot, you know, a much better wrestler than the Warlord. I, I, I mean, I think the general consensus is that um, yeah. Barbarian is an underrated worker, mm -hmm. um, and the Warlord is basically just a stiff. Yes, I would agree with that. <clears throat> okay, um, and uh, any 
this is a kind of cameo appearance from him, but any any thoughts on Dusty Rhodes? Um, I mean, uh, you know, obviously Dusty's uh, one of the, um, you know, as far as characters go, he's one of the best ever. Um, and but you know, he was showing his age here, uh, you know, during this time, not necessarily in this match, but um, and you know, his his booking uh, is very very questionable in the. Um, you know, particularly 87, 88, uh, time. And that was, you know, obviously coincided with, um, uh, Crockett's fall. Um, but I, you know, I've, I've always enjoyed him as a performer. Um, it's not like I've had like a huge diet of dusty and, um, I haven't, I, I'm not sure if it's available, like the stuff of, you know, like Florida in the seventies and early eighties when he was kind of touted as a better performer. But, um, you know, Dusty's always someone who I've enjoyed, you know, for the most part, while obviously recognizing his flaws. Yeah, I mean, we we have been seeing uh, more recently on these shows how his ego and his some of his notorious kind of booking decisions have uh, becoming more and more into play. What you know, as he kind of um, you can kind of see his hand a lot more in in a lot of these shows. Um, so. Yeah, Meltzer had this idea of turning him heel at this point. Could you see any merit in that idea? Well, I guess it depends on what you do with him. Um, but I, I think that, I mean, it's an interesting idea. Um, you know, one thing that I um, thought that struck me today is the idea that the Road Warriors had been in NWA for, you know, two two plus years, uh, I think, and they had not yet been tag champions. And that just seems sort of absurd. And, and now I'm a person who grew up with the WWF style of booking where it wasn't really about the chase. It was more about the, you know, building up the, um, you know, the building up the big heel of the, you know, month, the, the monster of the month or year or, you know, a couple of months or whatever, and then having, um, you know, Hulk Hogan slay the dragon kind of thing. And I just, I wonder if, if uh, Crockett, if they had taken that approach with the Road Warriors and sort of even letting Flair be the guy that everyone chased and let, you know, uh, the Road Warriors kind of be your, your monster good guys and then you built up guys to, to face them, whether that would have been a better approach or, or, or if that just wouldn't have fit in with what they did. Yeah, and, and I mean, coming into this show, it's, it's like the, their general approach is obvious all the way down the card. So you've got the TV champ who is uh, Mike Rotunda, although we have just had a, a, a fairly kind of lengthy... Uh, face run with that title, but still, we have a heel uh, TV champ, you have the US, um, US champions are the Midnights, um, you have the tag champs who are Arn and Tully, and you have Flair, who's the world champ, and who's the US champ at this point? I think it's... Dusty. Oh, is it? No, right. so there's one, there's, so the, out, of the fo- out of the five major championships, there's one, there's one face champion. Right, um, and Dusty's about to be stripped of it because of that attack, so... And what Dusty's about to be stripped of the U.S. title. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's uh, let's uh, let's move on. Um, Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross um, uh, are do a little piece to camera here, and there's a bunch of um, '80s fans kind of lurking and screaming behind them. One yes. of whom is dressed as Sting, and that's a pretty yes. good Sting costume. He looks really that, a lot, quite a lot like Sting. Do you see that guy? Yeah. That, I, 
I feel like I've seen. I feel like we'll see that again. I, I'm not sure if it's that same guy, but it, it's a guy who looks a lot like that guy, and I feel like we'll we'll see that that guy again. Yeah. First thing matches in the future. Have, have, you, have you seen um, the fake Hogan uh, from? He 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 hangs around in a uh, a lot of the '93 that kind of '93 run of Hogan's. Um, yeah, he follows him into WCW two in '94 and '95. Yeah, I think one of the most shows where he's most visible is King of the Ring '93. Yeah, uh, against that match with the Yokozuna. Right. <laughs> what 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 I love about him is that he's um <laughs> he wears the vest, but he's just got skinny arms like a regular guy. And uh, that Hogan. Yeah, he vest... doesn't really look that much like Hogan, honestly. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's it's a weird like he does, but he totally doesn't. But but to to be fair, the Sting guy looks a lot like Sting. Agreed, yes. I can't remember where I saw that guy again. Maybe at Halloween Havoc 90 with against um, against Sid. I recently watched that. That might have been where it was. I forget offhand now, but I, I know I've... Or if not, I've seen someone who does kind of the same thing and looks a lot like Sting. <clears throat> Nikita Koloff uh, is with Bob Cardle, and he has a new look. Yes. Uh, he's got a white suit. Um... And he's got hair, uh, so he he's not um, kind of clean shaven anymore. Uh, quite a long uh, moustache and an anti-drug message. He says that life and health are important to him, and that he doesn't need a belt to be a champion. Yeah. But he wants a world title. <laughs> he wants one anyway. He, so yeah. yeah, this is full of interviews with guys who are who want titles that they are not with guys who I don't, don't believe any of them are going to be feuding with. So, <laughs> Yes, it's kind of, uh, kind of unusual. Because um, I, don't, I don't think Nikita Koloff gets that. I think as, as 88 progresses, he um, kind of um, slips away. Yeah. Although, although it was pointed out to me recently that his wife died around this time. That's right. Yeah, I, I, that, that is. I'm pretty sure that is true. So he, you know, obviously took time off to do that, and then he pops up again in, um, I think, early '91. Actually, I think it may be '92. Um, he's he's um, I think he definitely is in '92, but he does an angle with Luger when Luger's a good guy, um, and that is sometime in '91. Right. Okay. Because he, he attacks Luger because he's mad at Luger for the U.S. Championship screw job in '87. He uses that as sort of like his excuse. Oh, it's right, a pay per view. Right. I forget which one off the top of my head, but I, I remember that actually. I, me- I remember watching it. Um, yeah. And then there's a strap match with Sting at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Koloff interferes in the um, in the Sting Luger versus Steiner's a Super Brawl '91 match. That's right. So it'd been before then. So I guess it have been early '91. So I guess I was right. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. But he 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 sticks around for longer than you might expect during that run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I liked the message of get high on sports, not drugs. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right, kids. Um, yeah. And I I think he actually lived by that as well because if you look at Nikita Koloff in '85, '86, he's you know really stacked. He's a big guy. Um, but by this stage, he slimmed right down. He was like de- definitely smaller than 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 he was, and less kind of defined. So maybe he'd stop taking uh, 
taking steroids and things. Who knows? Anyway, he mentions that, um, that there was an angle around this time where Tully attacked Dusty and Magnum TA was involved too. Um, I was actually expecting to see Magnum TA during the show, given how much he was mentioned, but um, that didn't come to pass. Do you know anything about yeah. this angle? Oh, that was the one that I mentioned from before, the one that uh, Dusty uh, choked Tully Blanchard. He, that was the one he was referencing. Oh, right, okay. So, um, yeah, and the weird thing is that Tully's not selling any injuries from that at all, and it happened the night before. So I found that a little strange. I mean, granted, I know, you know, you don't want Tully to, you know, that you don't want him to be sympathetic by having the injury, but you do this kind of thing, and he gets beaten up pretty badly. I'm surprised that, that they didn't do anything to indicate that, you know, at least he had some effects from that. Yeah, and th that's actually quite unusual uh, for these guys as well. They're quite big on those sort of things. You know, yeah. maintaining the illusion that um, all of this is real. Mm -hmm. Anyway, speaking of Tully, we go now into the world title uh, match. Arn and Tully with J.J. Dillon versus uh, Barry Windham and Lex Luger. One of the notable th things going into this match is that uh, Arn and Tully have great heel heat here. Uh, from the, They're pretty loudly booed by the Greensboro crowd, uh, which is good. That's as things should be. Uh, and by the same token... Um, Wyndham and Lugo are both pretty over. Uh, as things start off, Luger shows off his power. Uh, we get a great power slam uh, by him on Tully. And then immediately he goes for the torture rack. Uh, Arn interferes um, with that, nails the leg, uh, and then he goes straight to work on Luger's thigh, um, which I think is a great transition from uh, Luger being on top in that shine sequence to start off with to the heels being on top. Tully comes back in, um, both the Arn and Tully target the leg, but then with Luger gets the hot tag to Wyndham pretty soon after, so we get like a real acceleration um, of the usual pace of these things. We've already had the shine sequence, the sequence where the heels are on top, and now Wyndham is in. Um, and uh, he is really over the, the crowd cheering pretty hard. Um, we get a nice power slam by him for two, then a sleeper, um, and then Tully gets to the ropes, um, but Wyndham keeps the sleeper on, so all the way to the outside, which is not a spot I've seen many times before. Uh, mm -hmm. have, you, have you seen that many times, where they, they keep the, somebody keeps a hold on all the way to the outside? Uh, a couple of times, but no, it's not, not something you, you commonly see, but I liked it, so it was cool for something different. Yeah. Um, Tully, uh, Tully gets up though and he guillotines Wyndham on the top rope um, but then he gets caught coming from the top we get an abdominal stretch from Wyndham uh, Arn comes in and hits the DDT um, as uh, Dylan distracts Tommy Young we get a spine buster which only gets two um, we get another two count uh, Arn basically pins him and then tries to pin him again um, yeah, it's like a knuckle lock attempt, and then um, and then he tries to jump up, and then his knees end up in Aaron's crotch. That's right. That's right. The, the crowd is pretty wild uh, at this point. Um, Tully comes in. Uh, Wyndham gets a flying crossbody for two. Uh, we get a kind of double noggin knocker spot uh, where they um, both men get knocked down. Um, we get a side head takeover by Tully. Uh, a side suplex from Wyndham. Arn comes in and gets a, kind of an arm bar um, on. 
uh, Tully comes in and hits his uh, patented slingshot suplex. He covers, uh, but it only gets a two. Wyndham gets a hot tag in. Uh, Taluga, uh, Arn comes in, Tully comes in, but it's Lariat's all round and Luger's on fire here. Um, Tully then uh, nails him with a knee um, as he goes in for, you know, he's running to the ropes and uh, Tully's on the outside and hits him with the knee. Still though, Luger gets a power slam on Arn. Dylan's got, JJ Dylan's got chair. Uh, but somehow Arn runs into it. Luger gets the cover and uh, gets a three count. And we have new tag team champs. And at this point, I'm sitting there and just waiting for something to happen. You know, you, you, you said how many dusty finishes have we seen? Well, by this point, I'm programmed to expect something to go wrong when the faces have won. Um, uh, Jim Ross says this is a new era in tag team wrestling. And wow, I can't believe it. This tag team title change is actually happening. Um, which is, uh, you know, like, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so expecting something to go wrong. Um, that uh, I can scarcely believe the faces have gone over. Jason, thoughts? Um, yeah, I love um, Lex jumping in the air after the win, and you you, you get the shout, sh- shots of the crowd going insane, and it's it, it's really cool. But I really like the celebration seems so brief. Like they, you know, they celebrate for a second and they go right into, you know, the back and you don't get any shots of the horsemen, you know, of being like frustrated. They've lost. You don't get Lex and Barry getting, you know, just kind of milking in for a few minutes. I, I really think that was kind of a missed, um, opportunity, but, um, I, the match, I mean, it's fantastic. It's a really, really well done match. It's kind of interesting that, um, I feel like, with um, you know, Tully and Arn, they have a lot of matches where um, like the the shine period is very long and the heat segment is not very long. Yeah. Um, which that's normally what I, like a WWF style tag thing. But even you know this before their WWF run, they're kind of doing that. So I don't know if it's just more like you said a condensed version because it's a it's a ten eleven minute match, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and so forth. But um, I mean, the crowd's really into everything. The execution is great. Um, you know, Wyndham looks outstanding as he normally does. I mean, everyone looks good. Even Luger, who's, you know, pretty green at this point, um, mm-hmm. looks good. So, um, you know, er- everyone works, um, well together and it's, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great little moment and a, um, you know, a, a great exciting thing. Yeah, I agree. I really enjoy this match. I thought it was, uh, great to be honest and like I enjoyed the pace it was, re- it was worked at a really breakneck pace um, mm-hmm. which is a change from a from a lot of the uh, matches around this period um, they noticeably took it up a gear here um, and I appreciated that acceleration um, yeah, yeah. I, I also enjoyed the Jim Ross line of um, Luger's thighs are obviously well developed <laughs> yeah we, the, we, we we're 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 at the start of a of a love affair here that uh, yes. will develop over the next few years. Indeed, um, I, yeah. I, I mean, I think that the um, as you mentioned, you know, attacking the thighs of transition was was very good, and um, 
you know, and, and there were a lot of good, you know, Telly and Arn had a lot of good miscommunication stuff and, um, and you know, just good d- double team work and everything was executed well. I love how Tully is, he gets the slingshot shot, the, the slingshot suplex on Barry. And he's just like really, really excited to hit. He takes a moment to celebrate and then it costs him like the pin. Like, that's just a great, like, you know, um, it's, it's a great, like, heel getting his comeuppance so, kind of thing. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Um, that was a uh, yeah. I've, I honestly, um, I I think this may be the best, uh, and we've seen some pretty good matches from Arn and Tully so far. But this may be the best one that we've seen. Uh, mm-hmm. I really, I, I, I really think it's just, it's just it doesn't go on too long. It's uh, everything's wrapped up in twelve minutes, but they get all their spots in. Um, you know, everybody sells well. Everybody's good on offense. Um, yeah, and th- the one thing I'll say is that Lex Luger does not look out of place in that company. Right. Would you? Would you? Agree yeah, with I, that? I would completely agree with that. Yeah, Lex is. You know, he has some. I think '88's kind of you know mixed for him. Although he's working with great people, obviously he's going to feed with Flair and have you know that series with Flair. But um, he's definitely developing and um, and getting to be really good and working really hard. That's obviously the thing that stands out um, here because Luger in the '90s had his periods where he definitely did not seem to work very hard but here you know he's he's going full bore and he's you know um making every effort to justify that push yeah and i've already said that i'm you know a lot of people are down on lex luger but i i've always liked him um even um even even later on i think that some of the stuff he does looks cool um Mm -hmm. and I, i honestly think that he's one of the um, the guy, you know, there was that period where there were a lot of shoot interviews. Everybody was doing shoot interviews, and everybody was listening or watching shoot interviews. And Lex Luger was always one guy who kind of um, all of the wrestlers would kind of feel okay to badmouth. If that makes any mm-hmm. sense, like nobody really had a good word to say about Lex Luger. And and I think that his uh, kind of bad reputation stems as much from that uh, as it does for anything that he does in the ring. Yeah. Do, 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 do you know what I mean? It's kind of like it's a, like for a lot of the um, for a lot of the uh, because Luger wasn't one of the boys. It's kind of all right to it's all right to be down on him. Um, and I, I mean, obviously, he you know I'm not saying he was a tremendous worker or anything. I'm just saying that um, I'm just saying that among you know the smart fan community, I think that. That kind of um, magnified. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really ammunition to um, you make a case against him, um, and those are always, you know, you, I mean, yeah, obviously we weren't there, so we don't know how he was, and then I guess he sort of acknowledged, like, I wasn't very nice to people, or I, you know, wasn't always the best guy during that time, but yeah, I mean, I think if you look at his body of work, I think it's better than. Um, then maybe your average fan would give it credit for. Not that I've taken a survey or anything, but my, my guess is that you know you you look in there and you see and Luger's definitely got some quality stuff, especially you know late '80s stuff. And I know that's you know uh, there's a lot lot of you know pro wrestling only. Um, there's a lot of talk of that on there, and I, I think I agree. You know, maybe liking Luger is a revisionist position, but I'm going to go ahead and willing to embrace that, particularly this era of his work. Yeah. So we, we're going into the world title match now. 
uh, of course that is Sting uh, as the challenger versus Ric Flair um, <laughs> and we have um, this is a 45 minute um, 45 minute uh, match um, and there are also a panel of judges here uh, chosen by the NWA board <laughs> mm -hmm. um, in their infinite wisdom. <laughs> yes. Let's uh, let's take a look at who um, the NWA board chose to be on this uh, panel of judges. Mm -hmm. So so there's Gary Jester, um, who I believe is a Baltimore promoter. Uh, I, I've heard Gary Michael Capetta talk about this guy before as being the man mm -hmm. responsible for kind of booking him um, as a ring announcer in that area when he first started out. Um, and uh, I think he's had a couple of other appearances. He, uh, when we did the Crockett Cup, um, I think Gary Jester was the guy who uh, took us around like the Baltimore Arena. <laughs> so um, yeah, he's he's obviously uh, a guy they're keeping sweet here to make sure that they still get bookings in the Baltimore area. Um, <laughs> Sandy Scott, um, and uh, I've just written here, God, they've wheeled this guy out again. Because uh, Sandy Scott is another one of these guys, um, like Johnny Weaver, who clearly had like some sort of office job uh, with Crockett, and every once in a while they'd uh, wheel him out as a special guest rare for a judge right. or something like this. Uh, so there's Sandy Scott, who's um, clearly just making up the numbers here. <laughs> then we have um, Patty Mullen, mm -hmm. who we're told is the 1988 Pet of the Year. Yes, just pet. Not not the word penthouse is not uttered. Yeah. So, I I was I mean I was my wife was in the room when I was watching this and I I was obviously the sound quality was bad so I rewound it and I was like did he just say pet of the year pet of the year um so I had to look this up then this is a penthouse thing right pet of yes. the year uh, what what is that like a kind of beauty pageant thing. A penthouse? Oh, yeah. <laughs> penthouse is a. It's like you know, Playboy, but dirtier. You know, I know what penthouse is. I'm oh, okay, good. I. <laughs> I, I'm just I don't know what trends. You know. Well, I'm just wondering what pet is it like. Oh, pet of the year is just like their. Um, like you know, they have twelve issues, and hers is the. They vote hers the best of the year, or whatever. Right. Okay. So, 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 Patty Mullen uh, is a kind of a nude model or something. She a glamour model, they call it. Basically, yeah. I now I did some research into Patty Mullen because you know I wanted to be thorough for uh, your show. So I did some Google searching and you know found some things about, out about her, which is some pictures, you know, just to get like a complete and total picture of Patty Mullen for you, so I could explain all this to you. Right. Okay. But she was in Penthouse, I believe, th on a three occasions, um, eighty six, eighty seven, and eighty eight, and she appeared in the film Frankenhooker. Which is sort of like a, which is a, a cult film that's, um, you know, somewhat known. It's not, it's, I don't think it's, not like it's like a porno or anything, but it's, you know, it's kind of, um, like, I don't think it's like Skinamax either. Like, it's, I mean, there's some nudity in it, but it's more like a, you know, cheesy horror sci fi that's yeah. a little bit titillating kind of movie. So, and then basically she retired. She has done nothing in, uh, you know, uh, 20 plus years. Right. That of note that you know that that anyone can find. So, so was Clash One her kind of retirement do? <laughs> that I, I, seems weird because why would you know the the Southern promotion have you know like I I, I would love to know the story of how she was named one of these judges because it just seems like completely <laughs> like random they would put her on there because again you know like 
penthouse would be a horrible thing and well you know it's not like it's ever like a family thing but certainly like it just seems like the antithesis of what they were what they were kind of going for like you know now granted like wwf was more like the family one and and um wcw was more wrestling and you know they would do some edgier stuff but they wouldn't have you know like something like that you know it's a little bit sleazy isn't it exactly right no i couldn't i I I wouldn't put it past Dusty just to make this happen be, so he could meet her, you know. Yeah, I mean that's certainly. <laughs> I, I like I said, I'd love to hear that story. Maybe she knew some of the wrestlers from something, or maybe she was dating one of the wrestlers, or you know who knows. But yeah, um, well, she seems to definitely seems to have a little thing for Ric Flair. Um, we'll come <laughs> yeah. come to that a bit later. Um, uh, then we have Leave It to Beaver's Eddie Haskell, uh, and. Uh, Jason Hervey from the Wonder Years. Yeah. Uh, so an expert panel there. Yeah, well, Jason Hervey, of course, he is close friends with Eric Bischoff, or became close friends with Eric Bischoff later, and is now is still involved with TNA now. Is so. he? Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, um, so there's a lot of what I'm thinking here. If you're on, if you're if you're Paul Bosch sitting on the NWA <laughs> board of directors, what are you thinking? Um, choosing these five people to be on the panel. Right. Well, I mean, apparently anyone can come off the street and judge a professional wrestling match. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the NWA title is on the line here, and you're going right. to leave it to Pat Mullen and Jason Hervey to decide who's going to be the champion. Yeah, Jason Hervey, he was like 14, also. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I, I couldn't help but notice as this match is starting that... Um, Patty Mullen and uh, Sandy Scott are having some uh, some words here. What on earth do you think they were talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even begin to imagine. Yeah, it was very entertaining to me because obviously, like Patty Mullen was this glamour model, and then Gary Jester was just kind of sitting in a corner and looked like a like a real nerd with his uh, yeah. glasses and moustache. Um, right, he's an attorney, I believe. So, and like he's a sort of a local promoter in um, WCW, and a um, kind of like an, a liaison between NWA and WCW, I guess later on. So, yeah, yeah um, and uh, I should mention that Capetta then says that Jester was the guy who got him his job at WCW. So, oh, there you uh, go. Well, uh, an, a key guy in the career of Gary Michael Capetta. Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, Tom Miller, um, I couldn't. Ha- Speaking of Capetta, um, as uh, Sting enters, um, Tom Miller says, "The you know he calls he announces him as this is Sting." Now, yeah. In that same interview, um, I think it's part of the Place to Be podcast. I can't be sure, but I, th- I think it was the one that the Place to Be uh, guys did with Capetta. Um, Capetta basically says that he invented that core, uh, that he invented the This Is Sting. Um, but here is Tom Miller doing it in early 88, and I couldn't help but wonder if um, if that is true, whether Miller uh, came to that independently or whether he was, um, he'd heard Capetta do it at a show or something. Yeah, or maybe Sting is his last name and This Is his first name. <laughs> yeah, This Is, this is T.I. Sting. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, the stipulation in this match is that J.J. Dillon is uh, in a cage above the ring. Yes. Um, I do enjoy te- watching Teddy Long and Randy Anderson try to herd Dillon into that cage. 
That was enjoyable. And then we got one overzealous fan trying to shake it. Yes, uh, I I saw this as well. It was, uh, and I did note. Did you notice that JJ didn't spend the entire match gesticulating up in that cage? Yes, that was excellent. Yes, uh, JJ did a wonderful job in shouting too, trying to you know get get close attention. So yeah, or maybe complain to the referee. I guess it was hard to tell, but he was certainly he's still engaged, which obviously. Uh, uh, I love JJ Dillon. He's, a, I think he's a great manager, and every interview I've ever heard from him has been wonderful as well. He seems like a great guy. Yeah, and, and I mean, it, we've we've said it before. He he's one guy whose whose stock has uh, really uh, risen quite a lot since um, we uh, we started doing this show. You know, I I think I came into when when we started this, I had a preconception of uh, Dillon as a guy who didn't really do a lot. Uh, he just was kind of like he sort of was a great manager just because he was the manager of the Horseman. But uh, mm-hmm. he really was. I mean, he—he's definitely, uh, um, you know, the closest thing that NWA have to a Bobby Heenan, really. Uh, well, Cornette. Um, well, I mean, obviously Cornette is a great manager. Um, but I—I I think like, um, I—I th- I think that positionally, uh, Dylan is positioned as kind of. <laughs> Uh, he's the number one manager you as, mean and, yeah, and Heenan yeah. was the number one in WWF right and Jim Cornette's more of the in the Jimmy Hart role I guess you'd say I got you okay that makes yeah. sense um, yeah and uh, but also in terms of what he does during a match and his kind of sneakiness and his uh, I mean obviously he's not uh, he's a different character to Bobby Heenan but uh, I, I, th- I, do, I do think they probably he's good enough to warrant comparison um, at least um, but yeah, I mean, I remember when I watched that Legends of Wrestling uh, roundtable show, and JJ Dillon was on there, and they were talking about managers, and the um, the other guys were putting Dillon on their Mount Rushmore. You know, they had to pick four great managers, and I thought I was thinking, wow, you're only picking Dillon because he's sitting there. But uh, since watching all these shows, I've re- I've revised that opinion somewhat. I do think that mm-hmm. he was uh, legitimately great. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we get a tentative. Uh, uh, start here, uh, and Ross says that Flair is dictating the pace uh, of the match by keeping it slow. Um, and I mean, we should say going into this, I think we've already touched on it that Sting uh, wasn't yet really a main event star. This is probably his first uh, real main event or title shot, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, although, you know, that was interesting is that um, Tony mentions, and I forgot to double check this is that he says that he and Flair have had some of the greatest matches we've ever seen and that this was their first international stage. Like, and now, I and I was always under the impression that this was the first um, Sting-Flair match. Yeah, so yeah. that surprised me that, that they had had, obviously, house shows, but um, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I heard him say that, say that as well, and I thought crossed my mind that, was he talking about Sandy Scott? <laughs> Uh, but I don't think so. I think he was. Yeah. Again, it. you know, we were having, you know, we were having the same the audio stuff that we were that we've yeah. been having. So, um, so maybe, I mean, maybe we just got it mixed up. But um, uh, that was very, uh, really uh, that was very any, interesting. I've never really heard of any Flair Sandy Scott matches. So I, 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 guess I yeah. Like well, I mean, the, yeah. There's only could have been. He Sandy Scott was a you know he was a quiet guy forever. So maybe in the 70s or whatever. But um, but yeah, I I, I was like really Sting and Flair had happened, but. It, 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 it looks I, I, like I'm I'm going through history of WWE right now. Um, there was definitely one um, uh, on, in fact, on television on Pro, I guess, um, like in the beginning of January. Right. Okay. 
So maybe yeah. they were just referencing that. Yeah, and there's one in Cincinnati in Jan. Okay, yeah. So there's there are looks like there's a few um, going on, um, you know, randomly throughout the early part of '88. Just only a few though, not not like like four or five maybe. <clears throat> so as we start off here, there's uh, one of my least favorite spots: the test of strength. Um, if you're Ric Flair, you shouldn't really be getting involved with this with a guy like Sting. And uh, he actually pretty quickly bails uh, and then stalls outside the ring. Um, we get a gorilla press from Sting, um, a side head scissors, a headlock takeover. Uh, then Sting uh, applies a headlock for some time. Um, and when I say some time, I'm talking about several minutes. Um, Flair attempts to come back, uh, but he takes an arm drag. Uh, and a drop kick, and we get a flare flop. He begs off. Uh, he takes four punches in the corner, back to the headlock. Um, now we get a shot of Patty Mullen here, and she looks pretty bored and confused. Um, we get another comeback attempt from Flair, uh, and he takes another gorilla press. Uh, goes into a bear hug now. Finally, Flair gets an inverted atomic drop. Um, takes the action outside. Nail sting on the railings. Um, and I couldn't help but notice that the railings are very kind of wimpy, these kind of thin blue wimpy railings. Um, mm -hmm. They look like they might break or something. Did <laughs> you see those railings? <laughs> yeah, they were they were pretty. Uh, they were pretty chintzy. Um, then uh, we get some flare chops, um, and Sting is down. Flare yeah. woos, uh, and the crowd also woos. I think. Uh, I think they were wooing and not booing. Um, okay, I didn't really hear. I I felt like the crowd for the most part was anti-Flair and um and pro Sting. Maybe that the who's being the exception, even though we're in Greensboro, which of course is uh, primarily fair fair country. But um, not to interrupt, but one thing I thought was interesting is that basically Sting controls the first fifteen minutes or so of the match almost yeah, entirely. He does, yeah. I mean, this is this is all uh, and by this point we're about fifty minutes in because those um. Well, I guess we can call them rest holds. I basically um, are locked in for good. I'd say combined seven, eight minutes. If you yeah. combine the bear hug, the and the headlock. Yeah, and there's I mean, there's motion on uh, during it, and there's things going on during it, but they definitely are. You know, they're definitely the slower points of the match. Yeah, uh, but this is normal for for a match that goes longer. You know. Uh, well, yeah. Um, for some rest hold in the in the early period. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that no matter what, certain portions of the Greensboro crowd are going to cheer Flair. Um, mm -hmm. Even if, the, like, and I, I, I mentioned this uh, uh, a couple of shows ago, that um, there's a sense in which, especially in uh, in uh, in the Carolinas, um, where the same crowd might cheer and blue, boo Flair during the same match. Like, they're mm -hmm. willing to play their part and boo him as a heel, but they still love him, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and also there's maybe just an instinct, like almost like a Pavlovian thing of you hear Flair woo and you just woo because that's just what you're used to doing, even yeah. at this point in yeah. 88. That still, I think, could have been a thing. We get a snap mare from Flair and the knee drop, um, which is a standard uh, Flair combo. Uh, then we get another one, another knee drop, and a back rake. Then he um, does a kind of a, he rakes Sting's face across the top rope, which is a nasty heel move um, and he throws him out to the concrete he goes for a chair but Tommy Young comes out and confiscates it and uh, the interplay between Flair and Tommy Young is always quite um, quite fun I mean he has a 
special relationship, I think, with uh, with Tommy Young. The, those two mm-hmm. always have a little back and forth. Um, we go back to the wimpy railings now. Um, we get some chops and elbows. Sting starts hulking up. Flair begs off um, on the outside. Sting misses a splash and eats the ring post. We go back in the ring. Uh, we get an arm wrench. Sting comes back. Uh, clothesline gets two. We, uh, we have a suplex by Sting. Goes for the stor- scorpion deathlock, um, but Flair gets the ropes. Uh, and 25 minutes have gone. And I notice around this time that Flair has a horrible little rat tail mullet at this point, um, which I'm not. Or Sting. Sting does. Yeah, Sting. He's got like a little rat tail. Of a yes. Yeah. It was. Uh, that is not. That is not a look that's aged well. Yeah, I, I really don't like that. Uh, he, he, arguably worst tear of the night goes to Sting. Um, I would, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> um, we get a flying crossbody uh, from Sting, um, who then beats his chest, and he does this uh, beating of the chest quite a lot during this match. Um, yeah. We get a knee breaker from Flair, um, and you can tell that he's thinking about the figure four now, uh, and he focuses on the leg. We get another knee breaker that was, uh, he kind of holds it high, and that looked like a pretty nasty, that was a good knee breaker from Flair there. Mm-hmm. Uh, big back suplex, and now it's figure four time. Uh, after some time uh, in the figure four, Sting starts beating his chest again, and he reverses it. Um, Flair breaks it, um, uh, you know, he does his usual spot where he shouts, oh god, and he's in real pain. Uh, but he breaks the uh, the figure four um, and gets back on top. Uh, he goes for a suplex um, to the outside, but that is reversed. Have you ever seen the suplex to the outside hit? That always seems to get reversed, that attempt. Um, I have seen it, uh, but uh, not by flair. Um, I've seen it a couple of times, but... Um but I, but I don't specifically remember a time in which it's happened. But I know it's happened. I think Bret Hart may have done it once. I don't know. He uh, he splashes. Um, Sting goes for a splash, uh, but Flair gets his knees up. Um, we get an abdominal stretch from Sting now, uh, which is not not a move I associate with Sting. To be honest, he's using his full repertoire here. Um, Flair asks uh, Tommy Young audibly uh, how much time is left. Um, Sting gets back on top. Um, and uh, we get the uh, kind of groin in the post uh, spot, um, which always looks painful. Sting, uh, Sting himself goes for the figure four now, um, and then the uh, we get another shot of the 1988 pet of the year, and she looks bored out of her mind. Um, <laughs> Sting really goes to work on Flair's leg now. Uh, we get a Flair flip uh, to the outside. We get a headshot uh, to the wimpy railings, a headshot to the table. Um, we get a, a sunset flip from Flair, uh, but Sting isn't going to go down. Uh, then he knows he knows sells an inverted atomic drop. Uh, clothesline gets two. He misses Sting a splash. We get a, a sleeper from Flair, which is very quickly broken into the turnbuckle. Um, we get a series of near falls now, uh, but Sting is generally coming out on top, I think. We get another scorpion deathlock, um, but as he's got this scorpion deathlock on, the time runs out. So it goes to. He's got about for about 35 seconds. So. Yeah, I mean he he has it on for quite a long time, but then we get the 10 count during it. Um, so, in this scenario where you get time limit draw, 
it goes to a judge's decision. Um, Patty Mullen <laughs> goes for Flair and blows him a little kiss. Um, so she may be having a go on Space Mountain later. Gary Jester, um, he goes for Sting. Sandy Scott calls it a draw. Uh, so the match is a draw. So what about the other two? What about, I mean, we didn't get to hear from, uh, the, you know, the Beaver guy and uh, uh, the guy from the Wonder Years. We didn't get to hear from uh, Jason Hervey. What were, yeah. they, what were they doing there? They sat there for 45 minutes and they didn't get to make a call. <laughs> just enjoying the show, I guess. I, maybe just one of the celebrities got to be a judge and then they voted to go for uh, Patty Mullen for some reason. <laughs> well, um, right. So what are your thoughts on this historic match, Jason? Well, uh, it's it's a very, very good match. Um, obviously, it's really, really important for Sting's career. Basically, made Sting into a star. Um, obviously, great performance by Flair. Sting also um, is, um, you know, he, he's very strong. You can see that he understands how to connect with the crowd in a certain level. Um, he's just, you know, he's a physical marvel. I, I just love, like, there's one sequence early in the match where Sting just sort of, like, casually leapfrogs um, um, Flair a couple of times and then hits him with the press slam and I'm just like it's a marvel how he's able to leap so high and make it look so effortless and um, you know just he that athleticism he had was pretty um, amazing and um, you know they, they did some um, nice kind of variations on usual stuff like I liked how um, Sting worked the headlock for a while and then Flair got out of it, did a drop down, and then Sting like just jumped back and locked the headlock again. Like that, that kind of stuff was cool. Um, and um, obviously, you know, everything was um, stiff and well done. Um, particularly Flair's offense. Um, you know, always those chops look great, and you know his punches are great, and so on and so forth. I, I think there was a lot of, and you mentioned it, Sting sort of shrugging something off and beating his chest and. Um, you know, and, and just kind of going to whatever he wanted to do. And there wasn't really, um, you know, the, he kind of went after his knee for a while, but there wasn't really any extended selling of, you know, that from the figure four, um, so to speak. So th those would be kind of the, the minor flaws that I would attack as, as just um, maybe I would have liked to have seen a little bit more consistent selling. But, um, but you know, it wasn't like it. I felt like it severely hurt the match or anything, but it maybe keeps it from being like an all-time great. But it's still really, really good. Yeah, well, Meltzer goes four and three quarters here. Is that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe that seems. I, I'm I'm terrible with star ratings. I don't really use them. I don't feel like that comfortable with it. I mean, yeah. it's you know, it's a pretty classic match, and I, I now I will say that like. I was watching again today, and I will say that there were parts of it where I kind of felt like, "Gosh, I've seen a lot of Ric Flair matches, and maybe I maybe I need to take a little break from Ric Flair for a while." Um, yeah. But I feel like if I were watching it with eyes of you know where I hadn't seen as much Ric Flair in my life, I would maybe have have um, you know I, I enjoyed it, but maybe I would have enjoyed it even more. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I to be honest, I mean. I'm gonna. This is gonna sound sacrilegious, and it's gonna sound um, 
kind of impossibly contrarian, I guess. Um, but I, I am not a fan of this match, hmm. um, which uh, which I know sounds ridiculous, um, and I know um, from uh, the uh, private message conversations we've been having with Chad, I get the impression that he liked this show, and uh, that suggests to me that he liked this match quite a lot as well. Um, for me, for me, for one, for a start, it's just too long. Um, I could easily have lost the first 25 minutes. Um, that's that's my first criticism of it. I don't really like. I mean, for for a match to be a, uh, as long as this, it has to kind of justify its length in some way. Um, and I think I do think I have seen matches that do do that. Um, the uh, Kerry Von Erich Jumbo uh, um, Jumbo match, for example, or Jumbo versus Ric Flair. Their matches that justify being as long as this. Um, for me, there's not a really um, the transitions in this match don't really uh, kind of work for me. Like uh, th there's a lot of Sting being on top. Uh, Sting's probably on top for at least 70% of the match. Uh, and considering where he's come, considering the fact that Flair is Ric Flair, I think he's giving Sting a little bit too much. Uh, in this match, um, for uh, kind of this stage yeah. in his career, um, and th th this brings me on to another criticism, which is that for me, I mean, Sting is not, is not the finish article here. He's still, I mean, I'm not going to say he's green, but he's he's not the worker that he'd be in 1992, for example. Um, and b because of that, he doesn't really have that much in his locker. He doesn't really have that much to do. Um, so given that he's on top for 70%, really what that means is that we get a whole bunch of guerrilla presses, a whole bunch of the same spots. So there's a lot of re repetition in this match for me. It's almost like we have the same match played twice, back to back. Um, yeah, and I, w I would say that's sort of the same with some of, his, with some of Flair's matches with Luger that are going to be coming up as well. There's some of that as well. I, I, I agree the repetition in there. There was a lot of that, although Flair's guilty of that to a certain extent too sometimes with his offense. Not so much in this match, but in, in others that kind of yeah. hit this length. Um, I just I do feel like at some point you do kind of run into limits in, on what you can do. Um, like Two things. One, I think... I think the 45 minutes was important from a storytelling perspective. I think mm -hmm. that Sting needed the last 45 minutes or, or at least a very long length with Flair mm -hmm. to make this memorable and to make this work. Um, so I, even though maybe it would have been a better match at 25 or 30 minutes, I think the 45 minutes was important from that perspective. Um, and two, I do agree that um, Sting taking more of the match than was necessary probably hurt it from the perspective that you're talking about and also to made it pretty ridiculous to have the judges call it a draw when there's no way that anyone could honestly not call for Sting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, even, even if you're going to go with Patty Moen being corrupt or dumb, <laughs> Sandy Scott calling it a draw was, was pretty egregious, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I wonder what his argument was because it, it it's clear that, I mean, not only was Sting on top for the majority of the match, but he ends with the Scorpion Deathlock, and if that had gone on, there's no doubt that Flair would have submitted, right? Sure. I mean, he he even looked like he may be not. He even looked like he may be quitting already. Mm -hmm. Like he was kind of um, nodding his head, which is usually at this point the sign that they want to give up.
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, I mean, like, there were a lot of things that hurt this match for me, and it may just be that, as well, that I've seen a lot of Ric Flair. Um, but this, more than any other match that we've seen recently, seems like Flair by the numbers. You know? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of very standard um, spots uh, that Flair does usually when he's with an opponent where he can't think of anything else to do um, and yeah it, it didn't really I don't know it, 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 for me it doesn't really tell a very coherent story it's just kind of a bunch of stuff yeah I mean I guess I mean obviously the idea is that Sting hangs with Flair I mean that's the story you know, um, which is not necessarily like a, you know, um, a deep and compelling and, you know, um, epic match type story. But I mean, it, you know, it got the point across at least as far as, you know, Sting very, coming very, very, hanging with Flair and then come very, very close at the end to, um, to beating him. But you're right. It is, it's not like it's necessarily like a cohesive, um, you know, like the, the 45 minutes all seem connected together. Like, things that are happening early in the match come to play late. It's more just like, you know, it's kind of divided into separate acts that don't necessarily have a whole lot of link to each other. Yeah. And I've just read, actually, that Patty Mullen uh, was on TV the night before uh, in Flair's arms. So, oh! So that this actually goes deeper than... Uh, that I guess oh, got, okay. I guess they got that across pretty well, because I could barely hear what was going on. A lot of the time, so um, just from the visuals, uh, you could tell there was a little bit of previous between those two. So sure, sure. Um, but um, as far as the story of the the match goes, I mean, for me, the story of the match was not only the Sting hang with Flair, but he actively kicks his ass for most of the match. Um, and I mean, this is a particular uh, struggle I have, I guess. Where um, Flair kind of plays a bitch champ, but I think he occasionally bitches himself out a little bit too much, um, and this is one of those occasions where where I'd, I'd have much preferred it to be a, a kind of fifty-fifty affair. Um, yeah, and that's kind of well. I about the Garvin matches because those felt like more like equal affairs. Yeah, you I know mean, the, the match with Jimmy Garvin, for example, um, Flair like really, really goes to work on Garvin and you can see that Jimmy Garvin is struggling to be in there with a world class wrestler of Flair's caliber mm-hmm. you know or or the uh the Ronnie Garvin match you know it's 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 worked so that you can see that Flair is also kind of a vicious uh you know like he's a really good wrestler in this yeah. match I didn't think it- that Flair's offense really got across that he is the greatest wrestler in the world, you know, at any yeah. time. Well, well, yeah, you've got Sting sh- um, shrugging it off, you know, half the match is, is a problem too, which of course is, is something that he would run into when he was wrestling a guy like Nikita Koloff or Luger, you know, even later yeah. with Hogan, obviously. That's kind of where, you know, the, the, the where that would run into trouble there. The, just the, the characters who were like that, the superhero like characters, you know, Flair, you know, they would work the match like that and it would make Flair look look weaker. Yeah, and th- this is a, f- a weird thing for me with Sting, because in my mind, I, d- I don't know if uh, what you think about this, but in my mind, Sting does not have the same build as a Lex Luger or a Hawk 
or a um, or a Hogan. To me, he's a slightly smaller guy, in my mind. Uh, but everybody else seems to think of him as being of the same class as a Road Warrior or a Nikita Koloff or a, like. To, to me, he's he's not quite as big as a lot of those other guys. He's not like a pure muscle head, and he's one guy who can kind of bump around a little bit more. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Jason. Yeah, I would agree. I, you know, he, I've always thought of him as a bit smaller than them, um, and not quite as muscular. I, I know, you know, uh, when he was first getting in, when he, obviously him and Warrior were a team, they were they were much more juiced up. Uh, you know, he was. Um, but by this point, you know, he's a muscular guy. He's very strong, but, um, but yeah, he's not at the same level as Hogan or even the Road Warriors. I would say. Yeah, and, and I, I, I guess because of that as well. Because there isn't that massive size difference between Flair and Sting, I don't, I don't 100% buy him working the match as if he's one of the Road Warriors. Basically, I'd like, you know, the, the no selling, the hulking up, all of those things. They, they're not kind of. In a way, I think Sting's probably best when he's working from the bottom as much as he is, like uh, like in like in the, the Vader matches, like for in instance. the Vader matches, for example, where. He's vulnerable, and you know, I never really felt any sympathy for him here. And I, I, mean, I, I guess the point of the match is to get him over as a legit kind of main eventer. But like, you don't have to bitch out Flair in the you know, in the process. Sure. Well, he didn't. Like, I, I think you can sort of sense that in because I don't think the Flair Sting match has got any better from here. Like, I don't feel like they ever had a match at the top of this one. No. And they, it was always kind of. I mean, I, you know, I enjoyed it. I mean, I thought this was pretty good, but, um, but I, you know, they always kind of hit a certain level, and that was sort of what it was. And that was kind of what, you know, with most of those guys. I, I think Flair had some pretty great matches with Luger, but the other guys who I mentioned, I think all of those kind of hit like an okay point, and that was, or an okay to good point, and that was kind of the maximum that he would ever hit with any of those type of opponents. Yeah, and you see, this is this could be a criticism of Flair, but I think when he's in there with a certain type of opponent, he always just resorts to what he thinks works. You know, he he just goes back to the same spots again and again. Um, yeah. And it it really takes a, a you know a Randy Savage or a Steamboat or a somebody else to make the, the match more interesting than that. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's 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 a pretty good observation. And, and, and I guess by this point, or or Terry Funk, of course, um, I guess by this point, I've just seen enough flair that, or you know, seeing him just kind of do his stuff um, and basically sell some not very, not particularly interesting offense from Sting for forty-five minutes isn't going to make me think, oh my god, that's a five-star match, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I mean, I, I guess it's partly a victim of overexposure to, to, you know, just me being overexposed to Flair. But I also think that um, this match is somewhat overhyped because of because of what it did for Sting's career. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I think that's really. I mean, I, I think people think of it as a very good or great match, but I think it is more what it did for Sting as opposed to the quality of. The, I mean, the, the, you know, the quality of the match is considered high, but I don't think it's considered absurdly high. Um, I think it's more the reason this is remembered isn't because necessarily the great quality of the match, but because of what it did for Sting. Yeah, I have a feeling when I speak to Chad again that he, he and I may uh, 
may debate this uh, d d further because I, I have a feeling that he may be much higher on this match than uh, uh, yeah. either of us are. Um, but like, it, it, in my mind, this is n not even in the same league as a match like the Flair Gar Bonnie Garvin match from Starcade, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I do think one thing I did enjoy was uh, Sting uh, after the figure four that he that he gave put on Flair. He screamed something about knowing how to party or what. Like I feel like he's channeling Wayne Campbell there from <laughs> Wayne's World. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what he was doing, and of course that was this. Pre this is predates Wayne's World the movie by four years, but um, but I was like, huh, okay, uh, cool Sting. Whatever you think. You know, it's funny you mentioned uh, Wayne's World there, uh, uh, Jason. Um, <laughs> the other day, I did my hair in a kind of strange way, and as I was leaving, uh, my wife, uh, you know, said, "You know, today you look like your name could be Garth," which was a really <laughs> odd comment. Um, so <laughs> anyway, I I teach at a you know I'm a lecturer. I, I teach in a university. So when <laughs> when I got there, if you know. That was the last thing I heard uh, before, you know, uh, after I left. So when I got there, I in my morning seminar, I said to the students, you know, I relayed this uh, strange comment that my wife made, um, and I said the only Garth I can think of is Garth from Wayne's World. And honestly, the students were like, "What's Wayne's World?" <laughs> so they're like nineteen, twenty, and never really. Uh, I was like, "Wow, that's a game of the well, stage." Twenty-year-old tw movie, I guess. So, yeah. Well, I guess if you're 19 or 20, why would you have ever seen Wayne's World? Right. Um, right. Well, do you think we've do you think we've come come to the end? Do, do you think it's time for the end of show awards? Have I I would imagine so. Yes. Okay. So, um, if you're, d d d as you know, we do um, three awards at the end of. Uh, at the end of the uh, show, match of the night, uh, MVP, and uh, of course our Billy Graham award, um, and uh, I'll let you go first on each of these. So, so, so match of the night, um, Jason. I'm gonna go ahead and go with Barry Windham and Lex Luger against uh, Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson as my match of the night. Wow. Well, I've got exactly the same pick. I, I honestly, I thought you'd go for the main event, but. Um, yeah, for me, I really like that tag match. Twelve mm -hmm. minutes, fantastic action. Um, I really enjoyed it. Any, I mean, how would you justify picking the tag match over the world title match? Well, I, you know, it just, um, like, I, I feel like, like, I feel like I'm a little bit more strongly on this now after our discussion, whereas before I kind of would have made it like a toss up between the two. But, but looking at, like, you know, just, um, like, you know, the the tag match was almost really a perfect match. I mean, everything was executed well. Everything, you know. Um, everything was just crisp and smooth, and there was no, you know, no, no dead points or nothing where I didn't really understand what someone was doing or anything like that. And I just thought, like, wow, it was just a snap, and it had just a wonderful finish. Although the the flare um, sting finish is great too. I mean, it's also a good match, but I just feel like um, it. I can't think of any flaws in that match where, you know, after we discussed the, the Sting Flair one, I can see more of the flaws there, so I'm, that's why I'm going with the tag match. 
so what I've convinced you basically is uh... yeah yeah you you yeah I I would have been I would have kind of been a toss up before but you know now now having that discussion I am strongly more in favor of the other match. Okay. Oh, great. Um, MVP. Oh, this is a tough one. Um, I'm you know I'm I'm gonna go ahead and go with Ric Flair and uh, like. I will say, you know, obviously, yeah, there, there were some flaws with this performance, and maybe it wasn't the quintessential excellent fair performance, but, you know, he clearly made it work by doing what Flair does, and he clearly made Sting into a, in, you know, into a star with this, so I'm just going to have to go with, by virtue of getting Sting over as a main eventer for, you know, 25 years now, I'm going to go ahead and go with Ric Flair. Yeah, I guess you can say it's a very selfless performance as well from him, mm-hmm. considering who he was in 1988 and who Sting was. He didn't have to do that, and yeah. um, it's difficult to imagine. Like you, you could imagine a lot of guys in the same position wouldn't have done that. So, um, however, I'm not gonna. I, I have a pro- I have a problem with that match. It may just be a personal thing, um, but uh, to me. Flair would seem to be on autopilot. Um, there's a yeah, I, I I definitely think there's an autopilot Flair that he can just. It's almost like he can flick a switch and just go into go into doing that. Um, and I think yeah. that. Oh, you know, as long as the plane lands. <laughs> uh, I think that's the version of Flair we 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 got tonight. Um, and uh, it's probably a problem more a problem with me than with. Uh, I'm probably just. Ric Flair probably has to try harder than any other wrestler to impress me, <laughs> uh, because I've seen so much of him. You know, um, it's uh, it's probably an unfair thing that most um, long long term fans have. Um, so I'm going to try to pick somebody from that tag match. It's difficult to uh, pick out one performance, but um, Arn Anderson is someone who nobody's ever picked for an MVP, and I think that he really. Um, hit his spots really well. You know, mm-hmm. th- there's a nice. Uh, I I really like that transition where he comes in, he breaks the torture rack with the um, with a kick to the thigh, with to the kick to Luger's thigh. Then then you have that sequence where they work over Luger's leg, um, and then there's a, a sequence where he hits a DDT, um, and then not long after he hits the spinebuster, uh, and that spinebuster looks so cool. So I'm gonna go for once with Arn Anderson, partly because um, I'm worried that he'll never win it again. <laughs> so uh, I, th- I thought he'd, um, I thought Arn needs uh, some recognition. And also T- Tully, if you if you look back through the shows, has won MVP more than anybody else. So, um, hmm. and I also gave Ric Flair MVP for the past two shows running. So I thought I'd give it to Arn this time. I I've, I completely understand your decision. <laughs> um, and finally, we have the Billy Graham Award. Um, okay. And if if you're not aware of this, this is um this was originally uh, worst performer on the night, but uh, we decided to make it the Billy Graham Award after basically Billy Graham seemed to win at every single show <laughs> for a period. He has an absolute. If you haven't seen those shows, Graham has an absolutely awful run. Um, where he has this kind of kung fu gimmick, um, it's one of the most embarrassing things you'll, you'll ever see. So that, that is why the uh, that is why this is the Billy Graham Award. 
Yeah, I well, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead, and I'm not necessarily just for its performance, but I'm going to go ahead and go with Sandy Scott <laughs> because Sandy Scott called the match a draw, and there's just no way. Like, okay, I can buy I can buy Mullen, and I can buy her either being dumb or being um, wooed by Flair. Wooed, wooed, no pun intended there, yeah. um, by Flair. But I just feel like Sandy Scott should have known better. <laughs> Sorry, because I, I don't feel. But as far as performance in the show, I don't feel like anyone did like necessarily like a bad job. Like maybe that tag match, but you couldn't really tell what was happening, and it was so short. This six man tag, I mean, that you know, like I don't feel like there's anything that stood out as being particularly bad. So I, you know, was gonna go ahead and go with him. Okay, well that's a that's a very interesting uh, pick, and I, I'm just uh, seeing if I can check the record books here. I've got a feeling that um. That may make Sandy Scott a two-time winner of the um, <laughs> of, of the Billy Graham Award, uh, which is nice. uh, which is not bad going considering he's. Uh, I, I'm just checking that now. My my site's taking a while to come up. I'm gonna have a think about who my Billy Graham Award winner is. Um, uh, let me think. Um, oh yeah, so <laughs> Sandy Scott was my pick for. Um, the, uh, he was the guest ref in the final conflict match. Uh, oh yeah, a great that's match right. If you haven't seen it, um, it's uh, Sergeant Slaughter and um, uh, Don Needle versus uh, Jay Youngblood and uh, Ricky Steamboat. Great cage match. Uh, but Sandy Scott is the special guest ref there. Um, so yeah, he, that makes him a two-time. That's amazing that Sandy Scott uh, has managed to uh, get two Billy Graham awards now. Um, it's difficult on this show because there, there's no, there's no, not many kind of weak performances here. Um, uh, yeah, my other one was my other one might have been Doctor Death because his promo was pretty um, was pretty bland. Yeah, pretty shitty promo from Doctor Death. Yeah. Um, See, my default pick for these things uh, is often the Warlord, but I don't really think we saw enough of him to justify. I could also go with Paul Ellering, who did nothing. Um, uh, Sandy Scott's a really good pick, actually. Didn't occur to me that I could pick one of the judges. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, why not? I'm gonna go with Sandy Scott as well. I think that's <laughs> there you go. Because just because there's no like there's no way of watching that match and saying that saying that it's a draw. If you if you I mean if it was going on points, I think it would be, you know, sting by some distance. So yeah. Well, maybe there's a complicated judging system that we don't understand, and yet the celebrity guest referees or judges do. Also. Um, he didn't really show a lot of charisma sitting there, did he? No, he did not. No, he, <laughs> yeah, he 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 tried to hit on Patty Moen and completely failed. You know, um, it's just it was not a good night for him. All right, well, th thank you, uh, thank you very much, uh, Jason, for uh, for your input this evening. Um, I, th I think we go from here to uh, I think the next show is Crockett Cup '88. Um, well, we'll be having, and I, I think our idea, I, 
I guess much like you do on WrestleSpective is to have a rotating third chair. Um, so, of course, you'd be welcome to do this again if, uh, if you were ever interested. Yeah, I very much so. Right, well, um, join us next time then on uh, Where the Big Boys Play. Thank you very much, Jason. All right, thank you. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody. <laughs>